George. Yeah. Um, it's been so long, I forgot your name. Um, um Dave. How are is you? It, um, is it um, Ian? No, no. It's Gordon Dundas! <laughs> How are you, Gordon? Welcome to Whiskey Unscripted, and we're just having a laugh there because it has been a while since the last podcast. But listen, it doesn't work like that. People download these things and listen when they listen. Totally, and I think, look, we're, we, we, you know, when we were in lockdown, we were doing these every three days. We weren't <laughs> quite, but we were doing a lot of them. But and now that we're sort of doing the day job, as well um we sort of have to do these as and when and we we literally have neither of us have been in the country for about a month so good to be back it is good to be back gordon um we've got a what this episode really is is the traveling episode i would think you know if we were a wilbury this would be the traveling wilbury but we're not we're whiskey ambassadors but all about travel yeah yeah no absolutely travel a lot about you know getting back out there, meeting people, seeing people, which has been fabulous. But uh, yeah, all so good. Looking forward to another good episode coming up. I'm just trying to be, you know, pretentious. Coming up, you're going to take us to the Netherlands. I'll take us to Budapest and Athens. You're going to give us some travelling tips. I'm hoping as well. When you're out well, and about, you need tips. I've got lots of tips. Right, <laughs> lots of tips. Oh, I've. I've fallen foul. I, I, I really should have had these tips long ago. But Gordon, before we start all that, and even before you look at the news, Tim, what are you drinking? First or second, my love? Well, there's an interesting one. I mean, I'm actually uh I'm actually drinking a little a little whiskey that I found in my uh Ooh. found in my collection. I got about ten of these a few years ago, and I'm now drinking a a Highland Park 25 miniature. Oh, hello. So I got this. I don't know when I got this. But there's a 25-year-old Highland Park in a miniature. Now, Highland Park, and this is the old branding. This is a long time ago. But um, this is a very old uh, old Highland Park. But lots of, you know, Highland Park's, a, I think, a whiskey, which is absolutely, if you look at the journey of Highland Park as a whiskey, mm-hmm. it's really gone a very unique route laterally i think with the vikings and that type of thing and and um and 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 i've always been a little bit like i mean it's a great whiskey don't get me wrong I, i'm a big fan and i spoke to a good friend of mine martin in in holland who gave me a beautiful sample of highland park but um the old highland park uh the 25 year old utterly amazing the 18 year old was superb and still is superb um and Highland Park, I think, has gone on the journey um, of as brands do, and uh, I think certainly uh, it's it's always maintained a good level and quality. But this twenty five is just oh. exceptional. And yeah, of course, it's... we are E McLeod Distillers. Uh, that was part of, or we were part of those stables in the past. Yeah, exactly. No, Glengoyne and Tamdu were in the same stable, so you know probably some malt for those distilleries for Highland Park was maybe done. At Tamdu in the old um, Edrington days, in the old Edrington days, yes, in now, the now, um, and there was a story. I'll dig it up. Paladin boxes. Genuinely didn't know you were going to do that, but uh, there is a story about, and I'll find this out from a chap. It used to. It does work for us, Stuart Henry. I believe mm-hmm. he sent up a cask to Highland Park, and they sent down a cask to Glengoyne to see the maturation differences. And did, we know, did we ever find out the outcome of this? We did. And what was the outcome? I can't remember. <laughs> Brilliant. Wow. <laughs> no, I read that. I can't quite. It was different. It was radically. Uh, it wasn't like a Glengoyne, as you'd recognise it. You know, no, no. 
So, well, you know, a little, little bit more wind up there, a little bit yeah. more saltiness and all yes. that. But yeah, no, interesting. We should try and find that out. We'll come back to you with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's unscripted, folks. Uh, Gordon, I am drinking. What uh, are you drinking? A long row, red. Oh. It's a 13 year old and it's been matured in bourbon barrels and some uh, hogshead egg sherry. And then I think it's had, because I've not got, you know, all the details here. It's given to me by a, a friend, Cabernet Sauvignon. For three years, red Which white friend from, gave it to you, Vinny from the whiskey shop in London. So, and what's that like? Should be quite red berried and spicy. And yeah. oh, there's a bit of heat, bit of smoke there as well. Mm. Um, and just quickly, when I have another sip, Gordon Long Row down the Springbank way, yes. So, I've sort of lost the distillery, I closed the distillery basically. It would, well, yeah. I mean, I think Long Row is, it's got such a following, though. Um, I mean, it's obviously made by Springbank Long Row. You know, it's obviously a sort of it's a heavily peated whiskey. So uh, it's certainly a whiskey which has, um, you know, a very distinct following. People like it. It's a little bit like, I would put it in the same bracket as, um, oh, I've forgotten the name of the distillery. <laughs> it sounds... Um, Turbomori's Turbo other malt, um, Lechig, Lechig, similar to that. I think it's quite yeah. sort of, quite sort of, um, distinctive long row, oily, robust, um, um, and uh, very heavily peated. But yeah, um, fabulous. There's, there's lots of you know the sweet notes in there, some savoury notes in there, some really oily and smoky. Very interesting whiskey. I mean, really, really very interesting. So what that's what we're drinking. Is that at? Cash mm. again, look, unscripted. I don't have. I'll have to look it up. Uh, it's all right. Don't worry. Long Rose, a fabulous whiskey. Great choice. Well done. And obviously, as we're going to find out a little bit more with some of the people that we're speaking to, a region that is getting a little bit of love these days. Yes, we're going to go like to the Lowlands very, very soon, Gordon. But uh, any news? We'd always like to just have a wee dram and look at any whiskey news. We're recording this towards the end of November, twenty twenty-two. I'll just start with ourselves, Ian McLeod's, and we've done a partnership with Heriot Watt University, where we've got students to really, what would we you have. say, academically and really get into the process of finishing up a scheme. Would that be, that be correct? Yeah, I mean, what's the best way to finish a, a blended malt? So we've combined the three-year-old blended malt, which is a combination of different single malts, and we've then, how do we, the, the challenge was, looking at some variables, what's the best way to finish that whiskey? And uh, the outcome was fabulous. The bottle was amazing. It's pretty much sold out, I think, already. It was only 250 bottles, but right. um, a really tasty whiskey, some great reviews online, and a really good collaboration to engage and, and really show a proper, not commercial outcome, but a proper whiskey outcome from all of that great work by those students at Area Watts. So well done to them. And, well, the blending and just on, on the point of that, our last episode of Whiskey Unscripted with Asko Reinenen from the from Finland, who yes. used Kevin Pelly. He was doing the, the Valamo up near the Arctic Circle. And remember in the interview, I said, you know, where did you get your education in whiskey? Here at what university? That is very same course that we've asked these students to to look into the maturation story of finishing a whiskey. And I'm, mm. I'm having one with a red wine Cabernet Sauvignon finish, which is a uh, lovely mm -hmm. for a long row. So lots of roads intersecting there, Gordon. Absolutely. And, and, you know, really, really good to, to, to get into that, uh, you know, really good to get into that sort of 
you know, that it, that slight geekery around whiskey. And it was a really, really great outcome. And I tasted it and it's a fabulous whiskey. So if you've got a whiskey, uh, you got a bottle, enjoy it. Um, I'm not sure there's been many left. I think the other bit of news which struck me was a was the sad news about Dominic Roscrew. Um uh, a colleague of mine that I worked with at Whiskey Magazine back in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. 2003 onwards, he was the editor at that point. And Dominic was um, a bit of a maverick, I think would be fair to say, within the whiskey industry. He wasn't didn't particularly conform, uh, which is great. And he was very much a showcase for world whiskies, but loved the scotch. And uh, Dominic, unfortunately, died about a week ago. Um, and okay. um, really, really sad news. And, and you know, he really made his made his name in this industry and and through being exactly who he was sometimes it was he was abrasive and sometimes he was difficult to deal with but ultimately a really really nice man and a real sad sad moment for the whiskey industry he's lost a real advocate for world whiskies so very sad yeah 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 i'll drink um, gordon as well yes um and then you know i think some of the other things that i've noticed of course is there's a lot of investment going on now and I'm, I'm i'm noticing a lot of the bigger companies now the diageos and the sazeracs and the the jack daniels etc really looking to and i'm going to see i think see more of this we're going to see more of companies purchasing smaller distilleries so there was the yes. diageo investment in english whiskey i saw that um there's been investment by um jack daniels in rum uh Sazerac are spending more money Beamer spending more money there's there's a real it, it, there's a What's real investment then? in whiskey why are they not going for the big you know in the old days historically they would close small distilleries down and keep going with the big juggernauts so but I think there's some really interesting I think there's some really interesting things going on in in small distilleries that you just can't do in big distilleries so right. you know you look at the purchase of um of uh you know different small distilleries by by the bigger guys they're wanting to to take the take that on and 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 probably expand it a little bit and and really take on the um you know the sort of wave of innovation that started in these smaller guys so it's it's a very interesting uh time at the moment i i also think unfortunately that in in my view there's been a lot of whiskeys opening distilleries opening and and times are tough at the moment and uh It'll be interesting to see. I don't see, put it this way, uh, I don't see the number of distilleries in Scotland being the same as it is now in five years' time. Oh, it's going to be very interesting. Just two points on that one, Gordon. Um, just having a chat with uh, Jura. Nice guys there. Uh, had a nice feather cane from them as well. At uh, the Waitrose, which is a supermarket chain in this country, the Christmas event I was at, and we're just saying about how the whiskey industry is attracting a lot of the the younger people, we noticed that even at that consumer-facing event, and part of that we thought was maybe down to these finishing and mm. innovations. And whiskey is not looking like a static old man's drink that it did say in the nineteen eighties. No, no, I think that's absolutely up. true. We're always looking for new consumers. So how do we how do we engage those new consumers? And I think when you look at the investment of these brands, these big companies, Campari, another one that's 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 sort of expanding its range by buying bourbons they're looking to expand their consumer they're looking to expand into new consumers so if you buy a big bourbon or not big but a bourbon company that's selling a nice bit of bourbon and producing good stuff you're getting into that market um of particular consumers knowing who the consumer is and then obviously with a much bigger distribution you can take that product and move that around the world 
but also it works as a as a really interesting sort of setup to understand how you can market to that group and they've been doing it very well how do we take that to a wider audience and that's a really interesting part of all of this so yeah. there's a huge um interesting thing going on in this industry at the moment and uh, we'll see how it pans out could we move on we talked about targeting consumers and reaching out to uh, mm. the consumers i am mm. um, i was reached out to in fact really? we were both reached out to you know where i'm going with this yeah, i do <laughs> This was a couple I of months ago. I was wondering a few sentences ago, but I am now. <laughs> this was a couple of months ago, so we reached out to our consumers. We have um, a few people at right in, um, mm -hmm. as you're always saying, one. But I do apologise for not getting back in touch as much as we should do. But one chap that has been in touch is PT Pete. PT Pete has been emailing quite a lot, and we've decided to create a new feature, uh, Listener of the Month, or Listener of Every Six Months. Um, and he just happened to be passing Glen Goyne when I was there as well. So we managed to sort of cross paths. And I thought it'd be quite nice to say thank you for people listening. And uh, it's in particular for PTP for emailing in and commenting on virtually every episode I've ever done. And he popped up. So would you like a couple of minutes of hearing? I'd love to hear PTP from Minnesota, is he not? Yeah, somewhere. I was going to say Wisconsin, I think. Maybe. Oh, He's Wisconsin. So right. here he is, listener of the month. Absolutely delighted to welcome to Glengoyne on his trip around the UK, uh, Peter Newbert. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Peter Newbert. Well, thank you for joining us, Peter. Um, you have listened to how many episodes of Whiskey Unscripted? How many have you recorded? I think it's 54. Uh, 54. <laughs> That's absolutely superb. And what are you doing in the UK? I'm on holiday from my regular job, catching up with friends that I haven't seen since basically before the pandemic and visiting uh, relatives in Germany after a little uh, this little sojourn through Scotland. Now, you've, your day job is quite interesting as well, and it does intersect with the whiskey industry. Well, it's, yeah, you tell us. Yeah, I work at a craft brewery in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and it, it, there are a lot of overlap in, in, the, in the production process between brewing and distilling, and it's always been a fascinating hobby of mine to check out as many distilleries as I can to see how the process diverges and what kinds of things are similar, what kinds of things are different, and how it is that perhaps maybe there is a, a useful intersection between the two. And we're just heading up to the waterfall. It's a beautiful location, isn't it, really? Oh, yeah, it's great. It's great. Another whiskey, your whiskey journey, because I think that will be a, a little topic or a, a subject or a feature for other episodes, my whiskey journey. So briefly, Peter, what, what has been the whiskey journey? Well, I, I lived in Kentucky for a number of years. And when I was there, people told me, you're going to learn to like three things about Kentucky. You're going to learn to like uh, bourbon. You're going to learn to like basketball. And you're going to learn to like horse racing. I got two out of three. I eventually <laughs> developed a taste for bourbon. And then a few years later, I was in Missouri and there were some colleagues I was teaching in a university at the time. Uh, they had a scotch club that they went to a local craft brewery that had a fantastic single malt scotch list and you could order flights. So I was not really into scotch at the time. So I would mix my flights, three scotches, three bourbons, try to find one that uh, that I liked that was uh, not not so abrasive, uh, although eventually I really started liking single malt scotches to the point where even the super peaty, band-aidy, 
uh, uh, phenolic ones are fantastic. I I really well, love them few, all. Give us a few. Give us a few of the, the top three, four, five whiskeys. <laughs> uh, I I love uh, Bunahaven whiskeys. I yeah. think they're they're really fantastic. Uh, there was one that I looked for for a number of years until I found out that it was a travel retail exclusive. So I had to and go in. That's a good place to find whiskeys. Yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. A good place, you know, if you're, yeah, if you're, like, that, yeah, that was their uh, Kruchvona, which is a, a, a fantastic dram. Really, really, really love that one. Um, and of course, uh, Glengoyne 12 is, a, is an absolute go to for me. Okay. Uh, I had the 15 which I know we talked about one time I was able to find a rare bottle of that when I lived in the uh, uh, Minneapolis St. Paul area I loved that one too that was really super yeah, super a, a, a bourbon element there as well as yeah, a cherry cask yeah. coming together yep so we've got Bunahaven um, Glengoyne give us three more for your five dra memorable drums so I, I, I did a little uh, whiskey flight when I was visiting friends just a couple of a uh, couple of days ago and the uh, now you'll have to let me know if I'm pronouncing it correctly because people are telling me that this is right. No, this is right. I call it Kregelache. Not clo very close. Yes. Okay. Kregelache. Seventeen. Seventeen. Kregelache. Oh, it was uh, it was superb. It was uh, it was it was really really yeah, yeah. really memorable. So I also have a fond memory for for the uh, for the Dalemore. That was one of the yeah, first yes. ones that really kind of set me on a, on a, a single malt direction, uh, cigar malt, which apparently now is no longer being produced, I was told. Uh, I also really, really enjoy that one. Um, nice one. And then uh, when I was up in Inverness a few days ago, my hosts there had a bottle of uh, Lef an old Laphroaig quarter cask. Ah, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, yeah, very nice, well, very nice. Well, we're recording this before episode one, but yeah, with a lovely time in Laphroaig, so that might be a podcast to listen to well we're, Peter it's been a delight to have you here at Glengoyne thanks so much for um, contacting us through the podcast and please continue to do so and of course welcome here anytime but your tour is starting quite very shortly okay okay <laughs> let's go all right listener I can't guarantee for you know anyone that emails in we can do these things Gordon but mm -hmm. you know we'll no, try no, fabulous Petey Pete thank you very much hope you enjoyed the non-Petey whiskey of Glengoyne he does. He certainly does. Uh, absolutely. Now, good, he good, was travelling. He was travelling uh, around Germany, travelling around the UK. Yeah. Uh, Gordon, we've got a travel episode, and yes. we're going to do it in reverse order. Uh, uh, but, you know, you're just back, and you've yes. got a whole list of names that you spoke to. Would you mind setting up where you were, paint the picture, so in our minds we know roughly you know, where you were operating and recording in? Well, I mean, I, I, I have been in the States for a while, and I did next to no recording, um, <laughs> which... Looking back on it was a bit silly, um, but yeah, well, uh, I don't think I've got any recordings from the States with that, just because we were very hectic and busy, but was in the States for a long period of time. I then came back. I was in Paris doing a Rosebank launch, which was amazing in the Cheval, Le Cheval Blanc in Paris. Mm -hmm. And then this last weekend, I was in Holland, uh, the biggest, arguably one of the biggest whiskey festivals. I said that actually on my Facebook profile. And Mr. David Francis, who's a good friend of mine who lives in Sweden said, well, actually, the Swedish beer and whiskey festival is probably the biggest, which is uh, probably a fair point, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but it's about 6,000 people this. You've been there. It's an amazing, in a church. And I thought before the show started, I'd go and catch up with a few people, a few old friends, a few yep. new friends, and uh, just to get a little bit of their 
their sort of gist of what's going on with their brands and what's going on in the industry. So I started uh, touring around and speaking to people. Yeah. Just sit back, folks. This is a wonderful uh, series of interviews. Enjoy. Yes. So, uh, so I'm here uh, at the whiskey show here in the Netherlands. I'm, I'm with Ian of uh, Glen Scotia, distillery manager. Distillery manager, master distiller. Gordon. Master distiller. Fabulous. Now, I think Glen Scotia is a whiskey that has, I've seen it so much more recently, a bit of a Campbelltown renaissance going on. Would you agree with that at the moment? Absolutely, Gordon. Yeah, I mean, it's been probably the last two years, especially for Glen Scotia, has been uh, quite remarkable. It really has. You know, it's just the demand, you know, picking up the world uh, whiskey of the year in 2021, uh, Scottish Distillery of the Year, uh, and just there, obviously, with the Victoriana, the online uh, whiskey awards, you know, the um, November is wonderful, wonderful. Can you leave some awards for the rest of us? <laughs> well, I'm getting the shelves uh, increased in the distillery, you know, so we can always see more silverware. No, I mean, it, it's very humbling. It really is. And it's, it's obviously, especially the last one specifically, you know, it, it's really the, the guys in the street, it's obviously... They've, they've voted with their feet, you know. So that 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 for me is that that is the king of them all. So it's wonderful, Gordon. Wonderful. wonderful. No, absolutely fabulous. And and I think in a gen- more general sense, if we look at Campbelltown, you know, it, it you know, there's always been that sort of limited amount of brands down there. But we see now a bit more investment coming into that region. Um, there could be what six, seven distilleries in the next few years. Absolutely. I think there's at least two planned, you know, there's, there's two in the, the drawing board, Gordon. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's, um, it's it's wonderful, you know, it's wonderful just to, to see the interest in Campbelltown. I could never understand why, you know, people weren't interested in Campbelltown. Why why not Campbelltown? And it's, it's obviously, yeah, it's got the stage now where the state we're at at the industry, which is wonderful, that everybody's everybody wants to be in Campbelltown now. So, and yeah. and, and for anybody out there who's not tried a Glen Scotia and maybe not that familiar with it, if I was to ask you as a as distillery manager, master master blender, master distiller, what what how would you describe Glen Scotia's house style? I mean, Glen Scotia, you know, it's, it's going to have a robustness to it, Gordon. It's going to be robust, it's going to be oily, it's going to have a wonderful flavour profile, there's going to be a bit of salinity in there. Potentially there's going to be that wee Campbelltown funky note going on in there. So there's, there's, there's going to be something unique to it, you know, and it's going to be of the region of Campbelltown. So it's certainly going to be distinct, and I think that's 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 the thing with Glen Scotia. You know, it is distinct. So wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for being on Whiskey Unscripted. Thanks very much. We're here at session four of five. We're nearly nearly through it, um, but it's been great. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Shilton, Shilton, Shilton. Um, how are you? Uh, welcome to Whiskey Unscripted. How's life? All good, Gordon. I'm, I'm well. Life's been busy, as you can see, on the road, all the time, just like yourself. <laughs> and how's everything with milk and honey? Very good. Keeping me busy. That's how good it is. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff coming in. New stuff, new releases. Yeah. Very, very good. Now, Shilton, you moved recently to, to Scotland, didn't you? 
Yes, I did. Uh, about a year ago, uh, August last year. It's been a year now living in Clyde Bank, which we still have to catch up at some point. We, we will catch up for a whiskey. <laughs> Don't worry about that. I'm intrigued about milk and honey. It's not something I know too much about. I'm not sure about our listeners. Can you just give us a very quick potted history of, uh, of the, the brand? Sure. I mean, the distillery, the idea came out in 2012 by Gal, who is the CEO today. And uh, the distillery was set up in 2014. Uh, we started making whiskey in 2015. And January 2020, just two years ago, we launched the whiskey, which is a wrong time to launch a whiskey as well because the world shut down. We are in about 38 countries now in two years' time. So growing, I would say. You've been say. busy. <laughs> very, yeah. Everyone's been busy. Yeah? We've been working very hard. Uh, we've been some award-winning whiskeys already in the, in the portfolio because we are also doing something uh, in a pomegranate wine cask, which is quite different. And just for those who don't know, obviously it's a whiskey from Israel. From Tel Aviv, yeah. It's, we are based in Tel Aviv, uh, just 10 minutes walk from the sea, just by the sea, I would say. And obviously the climate over there a little bit different to Scotland, obviously. Does that have an impact on how, how the whiskey turns out in the end? Yep, uh, we look at about 40 degrees Celsius in Tel Aviv on our average. Uh, the humidity is about 50 to 90 percent. So the whiskey, I, I wouldn't say matures faster, but uh, the extraction rate from the wood is a lot higher. So you, you get, get great colors, don't great you? Great color yeah. there. Uh, you know, it gets it ready quicker as well. Uh, you know, get the full body, the character of the whiskey in a short time. So it makes, uh, but also the downside is that we lose a lot. Mm. It, in so Tel- the angels. Yeah, yeah some, some drunk, thirsty angels, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> in Tel Aviv, we have about 11% angel share. Uh, but we also... In we- Scotland, by the way, it's about one and a half. Yeah. We also mature a whiskey at the Dead Sea which is the lowest point on earth, uh, 430 below sea level. Uh, we have an angel share of 30 to 40% a year. Crikey. Yeah. No, there's not much left. <laughs> no. <laughs> Talking about drunk angels again. It's also 50 degrees Celsius and a lot of air pressure in, at the Dead Sea. So that changes the profile of the whiskey. Well, you've got a very busy stand. We'll let you get on. Shilton, as ever, great to see you, my Thank friend. Thank you so much, buddy. See you soon. So I'm here with Connell and Arden American. Connell, how are you? I am jaded. Jaded. <laughs> how late was it last night? No, it actually wasn't that late. It's just my voice is going. It's the last, uh, the last stramash of the year, um, and I'm yeah. But it's a great festival as always. Connell, how's it been going? Um, you're obviously, uh, you know, I think what you're doing and some of the whiskies you're bringing out are fabulous. It's great to see. I take it they're being well received here. Oh, you're far too kind. Uh, yeah, look, um, Arden American wise, we're just we continue to keep doing our thing. Uh, we've got a few new releases today. Uh, we've got a Madeira cask release and a single cask exclusively bottled for the Netherlands, which is our oldest ever single cask. A uh, pitiful eight years old, but believe it or not, Arden American is now eight. I can't believe that. I, yeah. If you'd said to me how old it was, I might have said five or six. It's yeah. unbelievable. Eight years old now, so not not far away from double digits. Time's flying by, isn't it? Indeed, indeed. And have you been travelling a lot? Are you are you sort of, this is your last dramatic, but I mean, are you, I know your sort of role is covering a lot of different things, but have you, are you travelling less, travelling more before the drop than you were before? Or Yeah, I mean, I think, um, oh, well, obviously well, we, we launched in 2020. Yeah, of course, yeah, of course. Uh, so uh, travel-wise, it's, it's very much, it's, it's picked up massively. Um, yeah. And the fact that, you know, we're, we're, every market we seem to go to, we're launching our Demurky for the first time. So launching virtually was 
weird and wonderful at the same time, but actually getting to market and people knowing who we are already is quite is quite inspiring. And it would be wrong of me not to mention the Oswas. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah, no, look, we, uh, we're delighted to uh, have been recognised in a few categories. Obviously, we picked up the best new distillery, but uh, actually being nominated um, with some of the big guys in some pretty serious categories was very humbling, and we were truly blessed and, and delighted as a team to be nominated. So, so yeah, if, you, if you've not sought out some Arden American, make sure you get your lips around some of that. And, uh, yeah, great to see you, mate. Always. Pleasure. Cheers, Cheers right. buddy. So I'm here uh, at the Whiskey Festival here in Holland, and I'm with a very, very good friend of mine. Uh, would you like to just introduce to the Whiskey Unscripted listener who you are and who you work for? Hello. Uh, I've known Gordon for many, many years. I won't be telling you all the dirty stories I know about Gordon. <laughs> there are none. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, I'm Celine. I'm from Elixir Distillers. You may have known me in the past under a different company that was Compass Box. Uh, I have left Compass Box a couple of years back now, so joined Elixir, which is very, very exciting. Uh, different side of the industry and the very exciting prospect of distilleries. So we're building a distillery currently on Isla. And we just bought over a distillery in Speyside, which is Tormor, which is very, very exciting. So for those who may know, obviously, uh, brands like Elements of Isla, brands like Port Askeg are maybe the brands people would know. Um, but to have Tormor as a distillery, which is the sort of one when you're going into Speyside, you see the topiary and all that. You've got to keep that going. So cool. I'm really excited because this is one of the distilleries that you cannot visit. They don't have a visitor center currently. We will be fixing that. So eventually you'll be able to get into Tormor. I haven't even been able to get into Tormor myself. But it's a really, really cool like kind of steampunk, really old style building, really, really exciting prospect. So all going well, we should be taking over probably at the start of next year. And then we need a wonderful master blender to start working his magic on cast selection. And we shall be producing our <laughs> official Elixir Distillers Tormor probably sometime in 2024, which uh, will be also the time we're hoping to start distilling at Port Naturin, which will be a distillery on Isla. So Port Natrune, uh, the one of the three new distilleries uh, on Isla. Uh, one of them also Ian McLeod is involved in, but we'll leave that there. Um, how's the show been? It's been amazing. It's so good to be back because obviously we were supposed to be back last year and they went into quarantine like three days before the event. So it's the first time we see our Dutch friends in the last three years effectively. So it's been so good so far. Just some old faces, some new faces, so everyone's just so happy to be able to do this again. So it's been really, really good. Busy as always, nice people, just easy going and just fun, really. Now, can you explain to our listeners about your ponchon for waffles? <laughs> oh dear God. <laughs> um, I do like to try the local cuisine. Everywhere I go to, I try the local stuff and I, I do happen to visit Belgium and the Netherlands fairly regularly and there's a big fight as to who does the best waffle so I in the aim of research you know it's important I, I aim to try as many waffles as possible to determine whether the Belgians make the best waffles or the Dutch make the best waffles I'm still to decide are you still researching yeah, exactly there's a few more years of research you know uh, it's an important decision so so far they, they they're pretty well matched 
And obviously, being in in the Netherlands at the moment, they they, they are the best. But when you go to Belgium, clearly, obviously. And last week, actually, I was over in Belgium for a big whiskey festival, and they brought me homemade waffles. And no one can beat the. Nobody's done waffles. that here, have they? Not yet. There's still another day, so you know I'm still hopeful. I get some homemade stroop waffles. You never know. <laughs> Celine, thank you very much for being on Whiskey Unscripted. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Golden. So I'm here with uh, Kira. How are you? Is it? I'm good. Yeah. What? You about to pronounce my name wrong? Ask me if that was right. No. All right. Okay. You're never quite sure, though. <laughs> it's Kira. I, I know. It's good. <laughs> Just checking. Um, Kira, you're with uh, uh, Rassi. Ayla Rassi. How's yep. everything going with them? It's good. Like with everyone else, super busy time of the year. Yep. We've just launched our fourth batch of core single malt. We're currently working on some single casks for international markets too. So I've brought with me a freshly bottled, came off the bottling line on Tuesday, single cask for the Netherlands for Western Timmer. Like a little drama that. Cask strength, peated spirit matured in an ex-Bordeaux red wine cask. That sounds delicious. That sounds delicious. And I know that, what is your actual role with the business? So I am responsible for the entirety of EMEA. Uh, so that refers to, well, predominantly Europe, um, the Middle East, which at the moment refers to Israel, um, and South Africa as well. I also manage sales and brand development for Australia. But I spend most of my time working on and in Europe. And on a plane. <laughs> exactly. You've been travelling a lot. I've noticed that. I've been speaking to a few other of our fellow whiskey people, and travel seems to be back with a bang. Is it a lifestyle which you enjoy? Is it something that you... I mean, by the, by this sort of time, everybody's a bit like, oh, it's nearly Christmas time, I'm really looking forward to a bit of a break. But then we've also had two years sitting at home in COVID time. So how do you balance that off? I... I think the travel's pretty much condensed into, or for me anyway, February till May, and then September till start of December. Um, I, it does get tough sometimes, you know, leaving home, but actually the feeling of going home is always pretty special too. But when, I think when you're travelling a lot and you think, well, I'm away again, I'm packing my bag again, you just have to sit back sometime and sometimes and think, well, I'm 28, I'm travelling the world, you know, talking about whiskey. I got it pretty good. And yeah, it's we, tough. We could be selling bricks. Exactly. Or, you know, in a corporate office working for an energy company in the middle of Edinburgh, that wouldn't necessarily be my cup of tea. So, yeah, the travel's tough. But I think, you know, we have to sit back sometime. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Paris, you know, and actually took my partner with me and we had a weekend in Paris. I did an amazing tasting um, in Paris. And I thought... I'm in Paris talking about whiskey. It's pretty cool. Uh, and you also get the chance to go to that wonderful island with that wonderful distillery on it. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, we spend quite a bit of time on Massey, the whole team does. In fact, most of the people that work for the Isle of Massey distillery are, of course, based on Massey at the distillery. We do everything on site, right through from all our maturation uh, to bottling to fulfillment. Even our content creation is done on the island by local people. Um, so yeah there's a bit of a balance between you know a lot of our team travelling a lot you know our commercial director Williams just back from a a tour in Japan Singapore and then you've got you know the real grafters who are working on Massey bottling our core single malt bottling our gin um, in a freezing cold warehouse so uh, I think it'd be unfair of me to complain about travelling and of course there might be in the future another destination 
in Scotland that you might be heading to. Do you want to just explain a little bit yeah, about that? Yeah, it's not so much of a might. We have well, we have purchased a farm yes. at Macrohanish. We've purchased Jury Farm, uh, which up until last year was a working farm in, uh, in Campbelltown. So we, we purchased the farm towards the end of last year um, and we actually successfully harvested our first uh, barley on that farm this year. So we have Macrohanish or Jury Farm barley um, and we plan to begin we, we plan to start building a Macrohanish distillery um, at some point hopefully next year with production aiming to start 2023 uh, 2025 I was going to say that would be quick <laughs> that's quick yeah um, and that's just part of this sort of renaissance we're seeing a little bit in the Campbelltown region which is nice to see it is I think it was naturally the next place for people to focus on building distilleries for the last however many years everyone has been focused on I guess Speyside and Isla Isla's been full for quite some time. Um, Although we're building a distillery. (laughs) But I think we want to take the same principles as Rassi to Campbelltown. You know, I think Rassi's an unlikely location for a distillery. Um, And what we've done there is, you know, employ loads of local people, do as much as we can on site. On the other hand, Campbelltown is not so much of an unlikely location, but it's quite an unlikely distillery in a likely location. So it's, we've chosen Danish architects, uh, Loop Architects, which they're, uh, they've designed stunning. So it's quite a, it's not a typical Campbelltown style looking distillery. Um, and it's unlike a lot of other Campbelltown distilleries that are right in the town centre. This is further out uh, in Macrohanish. So taking that idea of unlikely location uh, and bringing it to Campbelltown. And again, we want to do as much as we can on site. Um, you know, growing our own barley is just the start of it. Uh, we're not; it's not quite confirmed yet whether we'll do, you know, floor maltings, for example. But we definitely want to try and create a, a typical, typical Campbelltown style single malt, so cloudy wort. Um, you know, maybe it will be a different cask program to Rassi. We're not working with sherry casks at all, really, at Rassi. So, um, same principles, but in a, a different location. How exciting! And yeah. really, really, uh, thank you for being on Whiskey Unscripted. And, um, Thanks for the invite. That's not a problem. <laughs> we don't really do invites, but uh, pleasure to have you on here. Fantastic. I Thank just you very much. Happen to be hanging about the right place at the right time. <laughs> so I'm here with Alex. Uh, Alex, um, welcome to Whiskey Unscripted. Um, Alex, do you want to just give us a little insight into what you're pouring here at the at the show here in Holland today? So we've got a few whiskies that are pretty interesting. Obviously, it's a compass box. We've got some old snuff that's from about 2018, 2019. We've got our two new limited editions, Flaming Heart and Ultramarine. Flaming Heart, oak, smoke, based off a rock opera. Ultramarine, I can't tell you what it's based off of. It's a blended scotch whiskey that we reimagined from the early 90s. In this case, it's still in production today. Very famous. Uh, what I can say is ultramarine as a colour is the bluest of the blues. It's that lovely, rich, deep flavour. You've got that wonderful sherry, old age grain whiskey, old smoke coming from Kaulila. It's worth a try. Fabulous. Big fan of what Compass Box do, obviously. Uh, I think... Uh... You know, I think for the last 15 years, Compass Box, if you're not aware, has always pushed the boundaries a little bit of what, what Scotch can do. And it's so good to see it doing so well. 
Yeah, well, I mean, we haven't really changed our ethos. We make whiskey based on ideas. So a parcel comes by us and it demands attention, an idea, and then you make a whiskey based off of that. We aren't limited in what we can make whiskey. What a great ethos that is. I love that. Fabulous. Thank you very much, sir. So I'm with Scott Adamson, friend of the show. Uh, Scott, how are you, fella? How's the golf ball? I'm good. The golf ball is working wonders as ever. If you don't know about a golf ball, it's the best thing you can take if you travel a lot and stand a lot. Yeah, just get a golf ball in your bag, and if you've been on your feet all day, roll your foot on top of the golf ball, you're back in heaven. Back in the game. How's everything going with you? You've been traveling a lot? Yeah, it's been busy. I was just saying there that the last six weeks seem to have been a little bit non-stop. Uh, I did have a little bit of a holiday in there. went to Wales for a week, which was lovely. Nice. Um, yeah, first time I've ever been. It was fantastic. I'd highly recommend it. Um, but amongst that, you know, the Whiskey Show in London, was over in uh, Texas and Canada for 10 days, and then over here in the Hig. The whole whiskey world is back on the road for sure. Um, and what's been going well here, this is a really unique show, five sessions, Scott's only here for about two of them, but uh, five sessions, uh, and every session I've noticed, you hope you have, quite different people. Yeah, it has been, it has been. I think because you've got that daytime session and that evening session, there is definitely a mix between people that are the genuine enthusiasts, want to know and ask questions, and then towards the end of the evening you get a little bit more it's like a cool pub to be in uh, which is always nice as well it's a nice way to introduce people to the whiskies um, for us it's been a bit of a crazy show so I arrived and found out that uh, Bresser and Timmer here had all of our visitor centre exclusive bottlings uh, which is not something that we normally see at a show so that's a nice added element and then we've got the core range as well and things like the 14 and 18 they always do very well fantastic and also the one thing I've noticed um, is and I don't know the connection and while well, I do sort of know the connection, is, is the Japanese whiskey that was, was and I, I, I sort of know the connection, but could you explain that a little bit to people? Absolutely. That's, a, for me, one of the greatest whiskey stories ever told. It's like, it's like uh, the angel share, but in real life. So essentially, uh, in 1939, Daikoku Bidoshu, who would go on to open Karazawa, they opened a distillery in Fukushima called Shirakawa. And... Uh, in 1947, it was bought by a company called Takara Shutso, who in 1986 purchased Tomatin. Between 1951 and 1969, for just 18 years, that whiskey made uh, that that distillery made malt whiskey. Uh, so just for an 18-year period, over five decades ago, and it was all made to go into Takara's uh, blended whiskey. They had a brand called King. Going into the 70s and the 80s, they moved towards shochu, and they actually led the shochu boom in Japan. So where vodka went wild in the West, shochu was driven by Takara in Japan. So Shirakawa became a shochu-making facility. The distillery was later closed and demolished in 2003. The land was donated to the Fukushima prefecture in 2011 following the earthquake. Um, And then in 2019, our managing director was part of the discovery of the only parcel of Shirakawa malt whiskey in existence. It had never, ever been bottled as a single malt by Takara Shutso. Um, So it was this incredible thing. We found the last parcel of stock from a ghost distillery, but beyond that, it was distilled in 1958. So it is the earliest vintage of Japanese malt whiskey ever released, and that's an incredible thing because it's a time capsule. It takes you to the earliest stages of malt whiskey making in Japan. 
Takara Schutzo being our parent company, we're their big whiskey uh, leg of the business. And so we operate as the international distributor for this product. And that's the connection. So if you want to know more, where should people head? So to learn more about Shirakawa, go to tomatindistillery.com. To learn more about Tomatin, go to tomatin.com. There you go. Fantastic. Scott, thank you very much. Good to see you, everybody. Oh, God, so lots that, of different people there. Well, really? I mean, that is getting access, you know, you wouldn't normally get, you know, because you're working with them and alongside them. So that was really wonderful to hear some of the, the great comments. I was I particularly struck by um, well, them all, really. But just as you say, that Campbelltown resurgence and renaissance is really interesting. And Glen Scotia is doing fabulous work. You know, some of the whiskies that I was trying, there was on the stand next to me, Ross and, and Ian were, were handing over to me. And I was like, oh, this is beautiful. And, mm. you know, they're, they're definitely producing some lovely stuff. And Glen Scotia's uh, really, really producing some great stuff. But even things like, I was really, when I was speaking to Shilton, I was trying one of the, the M&8s, you know, and, and just, Milk and honey, and just fabulous whiskey made in you know oh, yeah. in, in in Tel Aviv near Tel Aviv. It was it was absolutely incredible with an and incredible then, angel share. I mean that that, that you yeah. have to say that is an enormous amount to lose. I mean people complain and they will do about the price of whiskey and the energy price, but there you're losing so much. Unbelievable, but the quality of it's fabulous, and across all of them, you know, even you know when I was. Um, you know, speaking to Celine about, you know, what's happening at Alexia and things like that, you know, they produce Port Askeg, they're producing really good products like Elements of Isla and obviously, you know, Tormor and all this coming down the pipe and, and the distillery yes. on Isla. It's a really exciting time. So I know, we're, we're going to get into Tormor, according to Celine. We're going to get in as tourists. So that was a great piece yeah, of... Yeah, no, exactly. We've got a that. whiskey unscripted uh, invite, which is fabulous. So... Um, but the one thing that was interesting, obviously, we had our good friend Scott on the uh, yes on the um, from 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 Tomatin and explaining the Japanese element oh, to the business, indeed. which I thought was very interesting. But he did also mention something like called a golf ball, and I want to now come on to some amazing travel tips. Oh, oh hang on there, Gordon! Traveling tips will be in part two. Just to say thanks to Connell, Ian, Shilton, Celine, Kira, Alex. And Scott, yes, and Scott there from Tomatin. Thank you very much. What a, and of course, Petey Pete. That's episode one of our travel special. It was heading to an hour and a half. We thought people like to listen to this on a dog walk. You probably knacker your dog out with that length of episode. Cut it in two and release part two very early next week, possibly. No, we will. Coming up in part two, as a little heads up, we'll go to the Budapest Whiskey Society. Uh, Gergi, and also Dr. George Papadouglas in Athens talking about whiskey terroir. Uh, it's a great episode. Okay, thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Goodbye. On the whiskey trail.